Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I welcome you to School Struggles. I'm proud to be part of the Coffee Clutch team. On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey, just outside of the Philadelphia area. I am the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child. Uh, My second book was School Struggles, and both of those are published by Sentient Publications. And my more recent book, is Dyslexia Screening Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. All of these are available on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, and you can also get them through my website, which is www.shutdownlearner, that's one word, shutdownlearner.com, and that site's loaded with a lot of blogs and great information for parents, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Selz, D-R-S-E-L-Z, and on Facebook, under shutdown learner. Um, and it's the goal of School Struggles, this radio show that we talk in down-to-earth, plain language for parents to help you understand your child better. And I like to think of this as kind of a living room chat. So I'm excited to have Dr. Michael Hart as our guest tonight. Dr. Hart is a child psychologist with 25 years or plus experience in teacher training, clinical psychology, and a diagnostic assessment of a full range of learning differences, including dyslexia as well as ADHD. He is the founder, owner of drmichaelhart.com. That's www.drmichaelhart.com. And is currently providing webinars, online courses and on-site presentations and training regarding proper educational care for dyslexic students. Um, 
Dr. Hart has been creating and presenting curricula for professional training and development for many years. In the recent past, he served as an instructor facilitator for a master's level educational psychology course focused on cognitive learning theory and behavior management. In that role, he taught advanced course materials in psychology to educators and administrators and received average instructor performances rating of 97, 97 out of 100 for six straight quarters. I never got that, Michael, myself. I never got such great ratings. No, I'm just kidding. Prior to his current role, Dr. Hart served as a clinical psychologist, educational administrator, and expert witness for learning disabled students in various settings, including pediatric inpatient psychiatry, outpatient psychiatry, private practice, and kindergarten through 12th grade school settings. During his practice, he administered the full spectrum of psychological tests, behavioral assessment tools, affective inventories, projective tests, academic achievement tests, and behavioral interviews. His experience spans from infants to adults, and he has conducted approximately a 1,000 evaluations. Michael enjoys mentoring other professionals and is intensely focused on supporting teachers, specialists, and parents as they become better informed and more experienced in the effective treatment of our dyslexic students. So I'm excited to have you as a guest. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much. I, I didn't recognize that person you were talking about. Yeah, pretty impressive. I guess you stick around long enough to get things done. <laughs> I'm getting jealous. You're pretty impressive here, you know? Not bad. But, you know, all kidding aside, I've been on your website, and to those listening, it's, it's you know, great information for dyslexia. Uh, Michael hosts a lot of webinars on a range of topics, and I've I've personally have have uh, paid for a couple of myself, so I encourage you to do the same um, if you're listening. Uh, Michael, tonight we're talking about, I think the theme, as I understand it, is that we're going to be talking about what, I, what, we, what are called indicators, you know, kind of predictors. And I recently did a workshop myself on dyslexia for the Cherry Hill School District, and we... Um, yeah, I, I talked about the sort of culprits. You know, the, the, there there are certain culprits out there that can be that are frequently go with dyslexia or reading disability. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Okay. So what what do you like? Let's let's move into one or two of the the two biggies and and the two that we're going to be focusing on, maybe not exclusively, but primarily are what's called rapid naming or rapid automatic automatized naming, and then the other one is phonemic awareness. We're going to kick around those terms a little bit so people can understand them better. Okay. Where would you like me to start? Good question. Um, why don't we just start with the idea of what is this rapid naming thing? Let's go. Let's start with that one. Okay. So this concept of rapid automatic naming has been around for a while, but it's just now kind of filtering into the consciousness of a lot of um, people outside the clinical world, educators and parents. And what we've learned through the research is that we've done a super job with regard to understanding and identifying phonological processing, right? That's the the issue at the, that the vast majority of kids that present with dyslexia have a problem with this idea of phonological processing or phonological awareness, which is that ability to hear or manipulate the sound structured language, which has a huge impact on a child's ability to try to figure out 
and A means an A, B means a B, or B, A sounds like A, B sounds like B, C sounds like C, so forth. But what we've also learned is that there is a great deal of variation in how kids' brains are wired, and we're seeing another component to dyslexia that has to do with some specific wiring in the brain that actually directly impacts fluency and comprehension. And so uh, a few decades ago, uh, Dr. Martha Denkla and Dr. Marianne Wolf created this tool that allows us to quickly and simply assess whether a child may be having a problem with rapidly naming objects, letters, numbers. And they found that when a child was struggling in that area, it was really kind of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, where they could predict that if a child was struggling with this rapid automatic automatic naming task, that it was really representing something much deeper in terms of how the child was processing language in their brain beyond phonological processing. So it was like a sometimes mixed together, sometimes separate, but it was something where we now understand that there's a, what we call a double deficit model for dyslexia. And so what that means is that a child may be just struggling at the phonological level, they may be just struggling at this, what they call rapid naming level, or they may have a mixture of both. And it was really important to start talking more publicly about this rapid automatic naming because we need to address that differently in the classroom and in their tutoring. So in that's a really great um, introduction to the concepts. Tell me or tell our listeners in really concrete terms how this kind of process, rapid naming, is assessed. What does it look like in terms of the nuts and bolts of the assessment? And not, I'm not talking as much in research right now as more, you know, in real practice. In real practice. Well, the cool thing about assessing uh, this issue is that it's quick and it's easy. So there are, uh, historically, there are two tests that a lot of, um, and you don't have to be a psychologist to give this, there's a test called the Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing, and it has three main parts to it. So it measures. I just want to editorialize it that it's called the right. It's the C top for those C-top. out there. You might see that C top C the letter C T O P P right, and it's in the second edition now, right? C top yeah, two. Yeah, C top two. Okay, right. Thanks. And it has three parts to it, and it's really quick and dirty. You can give it in just a few minutes, but it has uh, it measures, you know aspects of your phonological awareness and aspects of your phonological memory. And then it, ha- then it has a couple of subtests that you could do to very quickly assess um, if the child has difficulty with rapid naming. Then there is the test that Dr. Denkla and Wolf created, which is the RAN slash RAS. And it's rapid automatic naming slash rapid alternating stimulus test. That also can be given in literally just a few minutes. And the beauty of it is that it's quick and easy, but it's also very powerful. Now, yeah, Reese, I, I, I just want to comment. I, I, I love those kind of quick and easy and powerful tests. I think that that's a really good way to put it. I just want to punctuate that. I think that's a great way to think about it, that they, they yield really good information, but they're, 
they're they don't drag the kid through like lengthy lengthy process or the or the, exa- or the examiner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's brutal to go through five six hours right. of testing. Right. So so these days though, everybody's getting on the bandwagon. So the the Woodcock Johnson battery, uh, the Woodcock Johnson test of achievement um, version four. Mm-hmm. I believe now has some tests that try to measure this area, uh, but I have to be careful. I haven't given that test, so I, I just am relying on well, information from others. I know that the Woodcock Reading Mastery Test Three, the, the WRMT three, has a rapid naming component to it. I okay. believe you're right about the Woodcock Johnson, but I'd have to double check that myself. And I think the they, they definitely they definitely have it in the cognitive. I think they have it in the cognitive portion. But again, I would ha- I don't usually give that, so I'd have to double check that. Yeah. Okay. And the WISC five, the new Wexler scale for intelligence, has yep. um, some ability to measure that as well. So it's it's hot in the testing world, and like I said, thank goodness it's really uh, quick and dirty, but um, gives you lots of really important information. So on a on a typical like, can you describe? Just make it simple. Like, what does rapid object naming? How does that look on a page? So you have a page with like five, uh, five rows with about ten items in each row, and you literally hand it to the child and you say, you know, I'm going to start the clock and I want you to tell me the names of the objects or tell me the letters or tell me the numbers, whatever it is, as quickly as you can. And those, all these tests are normed, right? They all have norm groups that you can compare the child to. And so they, you just measure how much time it takes for the child to get through the list. You check that time, and then you use the manual to figure out, okay, this, this amount of time for a child this age means their score is X compared to other kids there in their right. age group. And you can also get a lot of qualitative information. So, like, for example, you might see a kid kind of go, oh, wait, it's a, a boat, boat, key. You know, they, 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 some kids do it very smoothly, and then some are doing it very erratically. You know, they might be going very fast, and then all of a sudden they can't find the word. So you, so you get a lot of information just by watching the child. Yeah, that, I mean, that comes with experience, right? You're a very experienced clinician, so... You know, half of it is giving the test and following directions, and the other half is your observations yeah. of the child's performance based on the fact that you are, you know, you've done a thousand evals too. Yeah, oh, yes, I have. I, I've done actually more than that, but all right, I'm like, we'll, we'll go. Yeah, <laughs> I won't go there. You know, yeah, cranked one out this morning actually. So you know. <laughs> Um, and then there's also the color, rapid color naming, which I find very sensitive. I find that my my impression of of the, you know, more powerful is the object naming. I'm not sure what your impression is, but the object naming and the color naming to be very powerful. Yeah, and and the thing about color, uh, I don't know about object. I shouldn't speak out of turn, but the thing about color is that you can do this with a child who's much younger who may not have been. A, uh, introduced to letters yet. Sure. And so a really young child, you can give them your rapid color test, rapid naming color test, and if they're really struggling with that, then you that's kind of a predictor for you to be able to make sure that you yep. really keep a close eye on them 
as they start yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Keep a close eye on it. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Keep a close eye on it. You know what? I, I have not found the rapid letter naming task to be all that discriminating. And I kind of have, in some ways, have given up giving, giving, up giving them. Um, and I find that the colors and the object naming rapid naming to be much more, uh, you know, discriminating and, and powerful in terms of prediction. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. I don't know why, but I find the letter naming doesn't seem to do it. But that's my impression. Hmm. I could be wrong. <laughs> hmm. I'm wrong a lot. I could be wrong on that one. Um so what do you? So what does a parent do with that information? So so in so you so in in more I'm drilling you down in concrete. So like when the parent sees scores, let's say, on standard scores below a ten on these tasks, typically start to re, start to feel like weaknesses. So folks, if you if you see your child had rapid naming and they got a let's say an eight standard score of eight or seven, those are not great scores, right, Michael? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So so here's where. I'm trying. I'm trying to create a simple way to put this. But so, if you look at those scores as a tip of the iceberg, that's suggesting much more deep-seated issues with language processing. Um, you see, when you when you focus on phonological awareness, we are really, really good. You got the like the Orton Gillingham approach and other approaches that teach us to how very systematically and intensively focus on helping a child develop their decoding skills so that they build, you know, the ability, ability to sound out words effectively and then they build the sight and vocabulary. And from there, they're able to read increasingly more fluently and then, of course, then they have energy left to comprehend. With rapid automatic naming, suggesting that um, the different types of language skills, so the higher order language skills, like their ability to quickly grasp, uh, the fancy word for it is semantics, quickly kind of grasp from their memory bank what a particular word means, or um, it has an impact on the fancy word of it is syntax, or the child's ability to figure out how to put words together in a sentence so they make sense. Or it could be on the what they call the morphological level, which is nothing more than understanding that words have roots, and you put a prefix on that word or a suffix on that word, and you change the meaning. And so my favorite example is all moms and par- all parents know that the difference between husband and ex-husband is the example that I always use. <laughs> That's a good very one. I like clear, it. very clear difference in meaning, right? Right. So instead of when we're, because, you know, testing is all about figuring out what we should be doing in the classroom or what we should be doing at tutoring. So it's now we've got to go beyond just focusing on the phonological, and we have to figure out what kinds of things we need to do to shore up the child's ability to use those higher-order language. How do we shore up their ability to understand root words and how to use suffixes and prefixes? How do we help them understand how words fit together in a sentence so they make sense? So, and, so, you know, so you're saying it's kind of a whole, I don't mean, I don't mean whole language is instruction, but like a whole no. language package that you're talking about in terms of, you know, remediation, I think, and, and intervention that you're focusing on a lot of language components of language. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I definitely am not saying whole language. That has a whole other meaning. Right. 
Right. Um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So, so uh, if it's a child who has phonological issues, then you're going to most people will suggest that you employ a Orton Billingham approach. For a child who has issues specifically with fluency and comprehension, who does not necessarily have problems with their decoding skills, there's two products that I know of, and that this is where we're really lagging, and we need more help. There is, and again, Marianne Wolf created this. It's called RAVO. It's an acronym. It's R-A-V-E-O, and that has, it stands for Retrieval, Automaticity, Vocabulary, Elaboration, Orthography. And I don't want to, you know, we get deep into the, I don't want to get too technical, but the point is that Marianne Wolf built this product. It's targeted for the lower elementary school grades, but it's a different educational approach for these kids who are struggling with reading that specifically have problems with rapid automatic naming. So that's one product that's out there. It's been well vetted in the research and so on and so forth. Hey, it's a one-on-one type of approach, Michael? Small group. Small group. And is is it yep. I, I, typically given, you know, every day? Is it a daily kind yes. of dose of Ravo? That, is that how it works? Yeah, it's a daily thing. Every five, five days a week, uh, I think about 45 minutes a day. And what they do is they pick like five words a week that are relevant for the child depending on what their age is in. And then they figure out, well, how can we – so the way, the way Marianne Wolf describes it is just if it's, not happening, if it's not happening naturally in the brain as the child becomes a more effective reader, how can we as teachers and parents simulate what the brain does when it reads a single word, a paragraph, or a text? So in other words – we're trying to build an external container and figure out, well, how can we help this child uh, develop their vocabulary more explicitly? How can we help them with understanding word meanings and understanding root words and understanding, you know, uh, how to put sentences together in the right format? All that for many kids who are not struggling readers, that kind of evolves and develops almost in spite of us sometimes, right? But for these kids, we need to be kind of like an exterior brain for them as teachers. And we use very systematic programs like Ravo because it gives us a map to use to understand, okay, this week we know that these are the five or six words and these are some very specific things that we can do to help shore up that child's fluency, which then, of course, also shores up their comprehension. Right. So that's one program, but I wanted to I wanted to mention another program that's pretty new, and it is called Connect to Comprehension. It was developed by uh, Lynn Givens, L Y N N Givens, in uh, Florida. She's at Florida State University right now, and she has been in the business for 35 years, and she used to be or is still actually training teachers how to help kids with their literacy development. And so out of, just born out of necessity, she created this program that's got a strong kind of Orton-Gillingham plus base to it where they address all those higher level language skills 
And she's doing a lot of what they do with Rabo in Rabo, but it's not age-based. You can do it for anybody. So if you identify a kid in middle school or high school or even adult, you can use this program and these kind. And it's very, very systematic and it's very well uh, uh, parsed out. And so, you know, a teacher doesn't feel like they're on their own. And um, do you feel yeah. the I, because I, I have seen Ravo, so I have a, a little sense of it. But in terms of the Connect to Comprehension program, is it is it pretty teacher friendly? So that a teacher who got a hold of this program with the manual could then begin implementing it in their work that they do? Extremely. Um, Lynn is connected to um, the Orton-Gillingham Online Academy, the OG Online Academy, run by this woman named Marissa Bernard. And what I really love about these guys is that they not only teach you how to use the tool, but they have a ton of of materials that go with it so that, for instance, if there's like six levels to connect to comprehension, each level comes with a manual with exact, specific um, uh, teacher materials to help them get through um, every single, I'm blocking on the word, but uh, you know, when they plan in their class, what do they call it? Classroom <laughs> planning? I'm sorry, it's just my like it's not crazy. Like yeah, yeah. But it's, right. it's like teacher, super, right, super, right. Yeah, lesson super, super teacher lesson Yeah, lesson planning. Super, super teacher friendly. And they offer uh, a community so that um, if you if you buy into this, this um, product, you will always have access to a large community of people all over the world who have been using it. You can ask questions. You can brainstorm just constantly updating and upgrading it so that you can get new information and new ideas. And you can also get access to her um, for in perpetuity until she uh, goes wherever she goes. <laughs> in perpetuity. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Like that contract. Yeah, I got the idea. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, just, I, really, I really respect um, the, what she's created, and I think it's new. And it's just got to get it out there. Givens, G-I-V as in Victor, E-N-S? Is that how you uh, said it? Because I had my own phonology problem with the way you said Giv- Givens. It's, yeah, it's a G-I-V-E-N-S. All right, good. Good to know. Yeah. yeah those are good yeah. tips. Those are good. That, I, I knew of the Ravo, but I hadn't heard of con- Connected Comprehension. Do you, know, uh, do you know a website for people or no? Yeah. Um, if, uh, they'll find it. On, yeah, OG Online Academy. Oh, okay, OG um, Online Academy. Okay. That'll take into it. I, she's got an interesting URL. I can't. I never can remember it off the top of my head. But All right. So, really, so really we good talk, people. That sounds great. That's great information. So, we, so we've covered rapid naming to some extent here. And so, what I'm hearing you say is that the, it, it, there are these two major contributors. One, and they could, a child can have. Uh, rapid naming as a contributor. I think that viewing it as a tip of the iceberg issue is a really good way to understand it for people listening. Um, it could represent deeper language-based issues, and, you know, that, that retrieval, uh, fluent, you know, automatic, you know, retrieval and fluency and all those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. So then there's the other deficit area, which is the phono, phono, phonological processing or phonemic awareness. So briefly, we have about 10 minutes left. We want to cover a little bit about that. 
um, okay. and how that's a contributor. So a child can have one primarily off, they can have the other primarily off, they can have both of those working together. That's what I heard you say. Correct. Yeah. And, and the, this phonemic um, awareness um, is um, key. It's tricky because, you know, people oftentimes confuse phonological awareness with phonemic awareness. And really, yeah. it's very close to the same thing. So the phonological would be like the umbrella. Phonological awareness would be the umbrella about the ability to hear and manipulate the sound structure of language. But phonemic awareness is kind of like drilling down to the next layer where they have to, uh, you know, they have to hear and manipulate the sounds and spoken words and understand how those things get broken up. So you you got to understand how to break out a word and segment a word. You also have to understand how to blend the sounds together to make a word. So it kind of goes phonological awareness is the umbrella, and then beneath that is phonemic awareness as kind of a sub-skill of phonological awareness. And then the third thing I would say is that a lot of people confuse phonemic awareness with phonics. Right. And phonics is just really the the teaching method that you're using in the classroom to help kids with their decoding skills or sound symbol relationships. Right. So um it's hard because it's just it's really tricky and it's a bunch of you know multi syllable words and all that stuff. But if you keep it right. in mind that for the phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, it's just one is a subset of the other. And then phonics is really nothing more than what they're doing in the classroom to help kids learn how to read. Right. I mean, maybe we, you want to give a concrete example of, like, phonemic awareness. Like, I, I think that phonemic awareness is a, is a very, very important uh, indicator. I see that the kids who are struggling with these issues of concern, that this is, an, this is for me, one of, like you said before, you don't have to necessarily give the whole C-top and in a fast and dirty way if you gave one task. They, I don't, they called mm-hmm. it a Lygian. They call that te- subtest a Lygian on the, on the C-top. Mm-hmm. But do you want mm-hmm. to walk uh, how a quick example of it, like with a word? Sure. Any, any kind of word? Sure. Yeah. So when we're talking about blending, okay, that's a phonemic awareness skill, blending. So you could say, what word am I trying to say? Mm, ah, p. You know, so what, what the child's right. mop, obviously. So the, you have right. to bl- you know, the child has to be able to hear the, the words and blend those. Or hear parts, the, hear yeah. the letters. Segmentation is the other way around. It could be either segmenting out the first sound, like what's the first sound in mop? Or it could be segmentation on the last sound, which is what is the last sound in mop? Or you could put it all together and say, you know, what are all the sounds you hear in mop? So those right. are that's, that's an example of a phonemic awareness skill that the child has the ability to either blend together or parse out and right, and then and then a, a, right, and then another classic example would be something like say the word clap, and the mm-hmm. child says clap, and then say clap, but don't say let's say the old sound mm-hmm. in clap. So then they have mm-hmm. to take out a sound or add a sound. Yeah, and the cool thing about that is, of course, once again, you know, you're always going to go to the, the the end result is what do we do with the child in the classroom? So if you know at this level that the child does well on their blending skills, but they're still struggling with segmentation, well, guess where you need to focus in your yeah. in your classroom or in your tutoring? I mean, you, 
you have this very granular understanding of where the child is struggling with being able to sound out words. And right. So, so like so you might so you might recommend, for example, I don't know, a targeted seg you know, five minutes of segmenting practice a day, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, it should be if if it's a child who's just learning to read and they're a non-struggling learner, you know, you could do fifteen, twenty minutes a day. Mm-hmm. If after a short period of time you notice, and like you discuss in your universal screening, if you notice that the child is struggling more significantly with being able to build those skills, then you really have to increase the amount of time you spend per day right. supporting that child and developing that stuff. I mean, Louisa Motes just said, you know, she's been saying, look, the kids that have really significant dyslexia, they should be getting like 90 to 120 minutes a day direct instruction. Right. To support them properly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I w- yeah, I was more commenting. I agree with that. I was more commenting on like the sub-skill practice, you know, like segmenting, for yeah. example, or maybe specific yeah. little, you know, a more... A, you know, a smaller component of the of the bigger package that yeah. you've been talking about. Yeah. Yep. I got you. I had a great example you. this week from a kid. You love this. I, I said to the kid, he was a five year old. Who the question was from the whipsy something like, who wears a crown? And he said, and he's pretty bright kid. He goes, nobody. I said, come on, who wears a crown? You know, who who wears? And he said, nobody. Nobody wears a clown. Oh, <laughs> that's perfect. Isn't that perfect? That is so perfect. I loved it. Wow. It was great. It was like, wow, I get, I'm, I'm taking that one, yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So, uh, in five, like, just, how, let's pull it to just tie it up, and then we'll say our goodbyes. Um, you've been great in explaining these things that can be so abstract to people, the terminology. Um, you know, just kind of like folksy advice you might give parents on, on these just as a summary. I would say um, I would say this, that if your child begins to develop problems with learning, that you have to trust that you are going to always be the most powerful advocate for your child not you or I, not a tutor, not another consultant. It always is going to be, at the end, you are going to be the most powerful advocate. So therefore, it behooves you to make sure that you read as much as you possibly can. Reach out, especially with decoding dyslexia these days and other organizations and the information on the web, uh, understood.org, uh, the Yale Center for Creativity and Dyslexia, the University of Michigan site with regard to dyslexia, there's a absolute ocean of information out there that will allow you to become uh, a true, uh, well-educated advocate for your child. And don't be intimidated by that. You can do it. You just take it a step at a time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think, and I would also punctuate Michael's mentioning really great sites there you know there's a lot of questionable information out there but those sites that michael mentioned i also would very strongly advocate i would also remind you to go to drmichaelhart.com um do you want to is is that enough for you in terms of how to reach your organization or you? you do you want to elaborate at all on that well 
um, my site is is really a culmination of the work that I've done over 25 years. And I think Richard, you and I are really similar in the sense that we're we keep it down to earth. And a lot of what we try to do is serve as translators for parents and teachers, yep. so that you know you don't get caught up with all the jargon and all the terminology. Yep. Let's not lose the child in this. You know, let's let's figure out specifically who is this person and how can we best take care of them and keep it on a very, very uh, low, not low key, but a very human level. I think is the best way. To yeah, put no, it. I would. I, I that's that really is my mission, and I think we are very similar that way. And I, I thought there would be a real simpatico. So yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. But so so drmichaelhart.com. Um, I would encourage listeners to go there. Like Michael was saying about, you know, there's there's so much information out there. You have to do a little picking and choosing. So I think that that site is is a really good one too. Um, are you on social media? Do you want to comment at all on any of that? Twitter or any of that yep. stuff? Yep. On uh, Twitter is at dr Michael Hart. On Facebook, uh, it's dr Michael Hart and. Um, uh, I'm getting started on Pinterest, but I, I think right now I'm really focused on Facebook and Twitter. Um, but I also, you know, I have a newsletter. I would love to encourage people to sign up for my newsletter. You can easily find the sign-up area on the on every page of my website. And um, that will give you an opportunity to learn more about what specifically I'm doing and when some – I have a lot of free resources. I have some courses. I'm always doing more and more. And my goal is to really just create a space for a community to come and find out whatever it is they need to know. I want to be able to be there and try to support them and help them do that. Sounds wonderful. Thanks for coming on the show. I want to encourage listeners. So thanks for thanks for uh, for coming on the show and being a guest. That's you've been very very helpful. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks and. Uh, I want to encourage listeners to go to, to uh, my website, which is uh, www.shutdownlearner.com. Um, I also have blogs and all kinds of other stuff, so if you sign up, you can get some infographics. And make sure to visit um, thecoffeeclotch.com. There are larger sponsors, and what this show is a part of, the Coffee Clotch. That's K-L-A-T-C-H.com. Michael, I'm going to say my goodbyes, and folks out there, Hope to see you soon again. Take care. Take care, everybody. Good night. Take care, Mike.